We were definitely starting a new series about uh, getting to know your neighbors, since apparently I don't know mine. This has been very convicting the last couple days, and it's going to be a very embarrassing four weeks with that bumper. So glad you guys are here. Happy New Year, by the way. I know that's weird. It's like a week. It's been a week since the new year, but this is the first time we've gotten to see each other since that new year has flipped over. And so welcome to 2018. And we're going to be moving forward. I'm excited about this year and what God's going to bring in it. And so I hope that you guys are ready to engage and ready to move forward, especially as we begin the conversation about getting to know our neighbors. Um, You know, our our culture has been obsessed with getting to know if there's neighbors out there. In fact, um, How many of you guys enjoy looking at the stars still? If you get a chance, you get out somewhere where there are stars and you look up. It's I love looking up the stars. Most of the time, though, I think we're looking at the stars through our apps right now. It's like you're like, look, oh, what's that Cassipoyo, whatever. You're trying to figure out what the name of those constellations are. But you've got them up there and you're like, oh, cool. And we've got a pretty cool app that actually when you when you dial in and zero in on something, it tells you how far away it is. And lots of scientists and lots of uh, extraterrestrial life seekers have been eyeballing a particular um, galaxy out there, the Andromeda galaxy. It was the closest galaxy, spiral galaxy to us, and it's 2.6 million light years away. That means if you were going to the speed of light, 2.6 million years later, you'd finally land somewhere in that galaxy. It is a super, super far distance away, and yet we're constantly hunting around out there in our current galaxy and in other galaxies. Hey, maybe, maybe we're not alone in this universe. You heard about those things? Maybe you watched some good stuff on like the Discovery Channel or the History Channel. I don't know what's on the, why it's on the History Channel about finding aliens. And, and maybe we've got the right location. Maybe we know they're out there. Because there's this big sense that if they're not, this is a giant universe to be alone in, isn't it? I mean, there's so many stars, so many planets, so many galaxies. If this is us and this is it, wow, it seems so, so just sad, lonely. And yet loneliness shouldn't be a problem. I mean, we have billions of human beings on this planet, tons of people living just in our own city. And yet what we're seeing in psychology and stuff is a rise of loneliness. It's growing and growing and growing in increasing numbers so much that as they're examining it, it's kind of confusing. Why is it if we're so connected more than ever with all of our social media, whether it's your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your your Twitter, whatever, you know, you've got so many ways through emails and text messages and phone calls, that you can get to know someone, that you can be connected, and yet we feel lonelier than ever. And it's adding to the actual suicide rate as that had been going down. It's now, it's now increasing at a rapid rate. And they're pointing back to this loneliness factor. It's increasing more and more and more. Not only do we feel lonely in the universe, we feel lonely in our homes, and we feel a great distance. And I think we can attribute that distance um, to, to a particular thing, to one thing that all of us have experienced and all of us probably don't like, and that is close talkers. You ever had a close talker in your life? Nobody likes a close talker. I mean, you, I mean, you like them. They're nice people. But close talkers are, are, are annoying. I have a friend who was actually told he was a close talker once. He, he's a pastor in town. And he, was, uh, he had a counselor actually show up at his church, start getting knowing. And the counselor backs up and is like, do you realize you talk really closely? He was 
ticked. The pastor was angry, not at the counselor, but at all of his friends and associates who never told him, dude, you're a close talker, back up. Can you imagine that? I mean, you know what a close, why we don't like close talkers? Because their breath stinks. You smell them. They're right up next to you. You're like, can I please have space? There's a comfort zone that we actually like. The comfort zone of a normal person, personal space of an American is typically the, the distance of your arm. If you can keep somebody roughly about your arm's distance away, you're, you're comfortable in a conversation. And that's why God blessed me with a six foot four wingspan and I'm only 5'11". Oh, thank you, Lord. Just, just keep them at a nice... Di- no, um, I'm learning to get over that. But the, um, the reality is that we long for this space. And it's not just an arm's distance length. It has now come to the space of our yards. I mean, we all know what that's like to want that comfort zone to extend across our property. Have you ever had somebody park in front of your house that you don't know? Yeah, we all have done it. We're like, who's that? And then the second part is like, why are they parked there? That's like my parking spot. You know, you can't, my kids will literally run to the window and go, Dad, are they coming to our house? Why are they parked in front of our house? Almost like that. They don't belong there. What are you doing? Or maybe you've had your neighbor literally walk up next to your yard and look at it and stare at your front yard and you're like, what are you doing? Why why are you staring at my yard? It it makes you like uncomfortable and insecure that this isn't right. You're not supposed to be. So you start looking at their yard. I I can point out the flaws on your side too, buddy. There's this distance, a comfort that we like. And so we drive in, at least in my neighborhood, a lot of people will drive in, pull into their own car, um, into their own driveways, and down goes the garage door, and nobody knows who lives in that house. It's like a secret. Oh, but their lawn is dying, and there seems to be problems there, so let's call the HOA because we don't need to get to know these guys. They're a problem. And what we have is this sudden reality that even when we're surrounded by people, we're alone. Suddenly we don't know our neighbors. We're friendly to our neighbors. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of us. We're friendly to each other at church. We say hi. We greet each other. But you're not friends. There's a big difference between being friendly and being a friend. There's a big difference between being neighborly and being a neighbor. And what we need to do is realize that we may, as human beings, be creating this loneliness factor because God never intended us to be lonely. God never created us to be lonely. God himself has never been lonely. In fact, he has lived in community throughout all of eternity. When he created, he created for the purpose to bring about relationships. And so we as human beings, especially those of us who follow the God of the creator God, we ought to be people who are creating relationship, be a part of relationship and building community. And I think that at the beginning of this year, if there's something we could address, something we could do for the sake of our country, for the sake of our culture, for the sake of our city, it is to fight loneliness is to be able to step in and be those who step against loneliness and be those who become good neighbors. And the way that we want to do that is that we need to get close with those who are near us. I mean, we need to really connect in and draw near to the people around us. This is exactly what God would want us to do. This is exactly what God did for us. Our entire series is going to be based around this idea that we need to draw near. We need to get close to those who are near us because of one thing. You see, Jesus came near to love us, and so we should love those near us. See, the God who created the universe, in his call to humanity, who he, he made us after himself, we're to be like him, showed us something about himself that is radically powerful to fight loneliness. What is that? Except that he showed us 
that he's not aloof and he's not distant. There's a, there's a concept of God that floats out there, maybe in some of your minds, it's part of our culture, but that God is this being that is great and powerful. He created the universe, sure. Yes, he, he, he brought about humanity in some form or fashion, but to be honest, he's way busy. He's off in this location so far outside the universe called heaven. And he's so far out there, he doesn't care about us, this little speck of a planet down here. I mean, he doesn't care who's going to win the Super Bowl. He doesn't care who's going to win, win that baseball game. He, he's, maybe he's worried about some wars and stuff and doesn't like them, but really he's not going to interfere. He is so okay with just being himself. He doesn't want to be bugged by you, let alone care about your individual life. And sure, you can pray to him and he wants you to be happy, but really he's not going to mess in your life. He's a God far, far away. And this concept of God is not the God that we see who's revealed himself to the world. This isn't the God who said, here I am. I want you to know me. I made this world and you need to know who I am so you know how to live. Instead, what this God did is he stepped into this world to reveal something more, that we were to be the best kind of neighbors. And in Jesus, God came and became the best kind of neighbor. You can see this from a man named John. John um, was one of the disciples of Jesus who followed after Jesus, knew Jesus intimately. And when he, at an old age, wrote down his biography of Jesus, his recollections of being with him, he started with this idea that Jesus was called the Word. And the Word was in eternity with God, and he was God. And then this word did something. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh. And then this, this very interesting term. So Jesus became a human. We just celebrated that. That's called Christmas. But there was some reason that Christmas came. There was some reason he became flesh. And that was so he could dwell among us. The term dwell among us is an interesting term because the word neighbor literally means to dwell near. The word is nigh. You, you know, in the old English, we'd say, draw nigh unto me. You know, that, that whole concept. And a burr is a place that you live. You live in a suburb. You live in a burr, oh, a burg. All that word burr means dwelling location. And so when you have a neighbor, it's somebody who dwells near you. We'll see that really to find out later. But here he has this, this Jesus who's come and he dwells among us. In a real way, is calling Jesus the neighbor. The great neighbor, the, the, the word there in the Greek is he set up his tent, his tabernacle to live amongst us. He came in and put his address on earth in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, in Egypt, then all throughout Judea. He lived amongst these men and women. And, and when they knew him, when they got to know Jesus, they weren't, they weren't disappointed you know, you may get to know a superstar, you may get to know some great actor, you may get to know some pastor somewhere, and as you get to know them, you, you're going to get disappointed because they're not all they seem to be. And yet what he says about Jesus is that as we got to know him, we saw his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. What we got to see in Jesus wasn't a disappointment. It was glorious. It was beautiful. It was truthful. It was gracious. And so here is Jesus moving in with us, living amongst us, being a good neighbor. And it's no wonder then that we, who've been made as human beings in the image of God, we should be the same way. We're supposed to represent him, live out the same kind of thing. And to fight loneliness, then we need to be the kind of people who move into each other's lives, who do the same kind of drawing near to love people. In fact, I think Jesus makes it really explicit. 
If you want, grab your Bible if you've got it and open up to Matthew chapter 22. And you know, we're going to reference this a couple of times here. So if you have Matthew, grab, turn to Matthew 22. We're going to begin in verse 34 and we're going to see what's going on here. Now, the background of this passage is Jesus has been in an argument with, um, with a group called the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. He's pretty much proved the resurrection, shut them down. And now the Pharisees are interested. They're like, hey, he just shut down our enemies. Let, let's check this guy out and let's put him to the test. And so it says, when the Pharisees heard that, they had, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this is a softball test, to be quite honest, because every Jewish child grew up praying this great commandment every morning and every evening. And so Jesus nails it. He says, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he didn't stop. Jesus moved on. It's as if he's going to say, hey, look, there's something else. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So there you go. If you ever want a summation of the Old Testament, you just got it right there in two lines. The summation of the Old Testament, all the laws and rules and all the prophecies and everything is love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. A great summary by Jesus. But what he's really making clear is that if you want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you better show it by loving your neighbor. They're not separated. They're not two different ones. They are the great commandment, and they are like each other. Like you love God is like you should love men. This combination needs to occur. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't leave it to any chance that maybe we're supposed to be like God, and maybe we're supposed to love each other. No, he says very clearly, this is the great commandment. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we see this. And he says to that idea that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the commandment. Keep that in your mind as we start working through this. Because love is not something that we get very often today. Love is a feeling. It's something I love. Oh, I fall into love, as Tim said last week. And when you fall, there's a likely smack at the bottom, right? Love is an emotion I feel. Oh, I just, I, I just love how she makes me feel. I must love her. That's how we think about love. And so you can fall in love, you can fall out of love, you can feel like you're in love, and then you can stop feeling like you're in love, as if love had anything to do with you. See, love is a very self-centered, focused thing today on ourselves, how I feel, how I respond. But love isn't identified with that in the Bible. The the love that God explains and the love that God lays out is an other-focused kind of love. It's a love that thinks about the other, contemplates the other, and looks for to meet their needs and their betterment. Isn't that what we want for our kids? I mean, when we look at our children, we want them to have their needs met. We want them to have what they need for life, and we want them to be better people. That's why we discipline them. That's why we instruct them. That's why we guide them. We want them to be better as human beings. We love our children by desiring their needs and betterment. When I love my wife, I I desire to meet her needs. I desire to see her become a greater and better person. I know she desires to meet my needs. And and I know she desires for me to be a better person because she tells me all the ways I can change all the time. (laughs) And it's true. But the idea behind that is we do that for our our spouses. I pray that's going on yours in your life. We do that for our friends. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you got to understand. This is how we should treat our neighbors. Now we should treat each other. We should love each other, meet needs, seek them to become better. 
The danger is so, so replete, though, for us. Some, some of you are, are goal-oriented people, and, and it, is, it helps you. You get those goals laid out. You aim at those goals. You knock down those goals. You keep moving forward. That's how progress works. That's how success is built. And our culture expresses itself in meeting goals and accomplishing things. But the danger in this situation, and we can do it so easily even in the church, is we can turn people into projects. And when we turn people into projects, love is dissolved or diminished. So when we cease to care about people and we turn them into our accomplishments, we actually cease to really love them. And this may have happened to you at some point in your life. You may have had parents who were trying to raise you to be a doctor or an engineer. They, they had this vision for your life and they were marching you towards that vision. This is who you're going to be. You're going you're gonna to be just like me, whatever. And there was something in it that you felt like, wow, wait a minute. Do you love me? Do you, do you understand who I am? Are you looking at what, what God has made me to be? And the love was diminished by their needing to turn you into like their trophy, their accomplishment. And maybe it's not a parent. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend trying to dress you the right way, maybe trying to make you say the right things and and change who you were because they wanted you to look and act the way that they wanted to show you off to people. And when you found out that's what it was really about, it was about what they thought and not about what was really going, not who you really were, that love didn't seem real, did it? And we can be in, in danger of doing this to neighbors and to each other. That we turn it into an accomplishment. Yeah, I got to know that neighbor. Oh, I got to know that neighbor. And oh, I got, I'm going to save that neighbor. I'm going to, no, when we do that kind of stuff as Christians, it dissolves love. It creates the goal before the relationship. And in that sudden attitude and action, we can put a time limit on relationships. Ah, this is, um, this is no good. Um, nothing happened. We're going to move on. It can turn them into something you're proud about. It just it destroys love. We weren't called to just know our neighbors and we weren't called to make our neighbors our projects. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this means, may mean in some ways we need to think through how we're addressing and engaging neighbors and addressing and engaging family members or addressing and engaging other people. But um, what I did is I had invited on last night... Um, uh, the Montanez family to come and kind of express their story as they went into Christmas to try to connect with their neighbors. And so they came up and um, they couldn't be, they served the service. So we got it on video. And so you guys will get a chance to kind of see that. So turn your eyes up to the screen and you can see just kind of how their story worked out. Real quick, just uh, how long have you lived in your neighborhood? We moved here two years ago. So it's, you're kind of fresh in your neighborhood fresh still? Fresh and new. Two years? No, yes. no, I'm just kidding. The, uh, but um, so tell me how you guys have been trying to connect with your neighbors. What are some of the ways that you've been doing that? And then what happened this Christmas? Okay, um, pretty much it, when it started working in our, our lives to be getting closer to our neighbors was uh, through um, James Project. When it came out, um, we really grew close to a few neighbors and, um, well, not close, but closer. You know, you see them sometimes and stuff. So then after that, um, every now and then, you know, we have a lot of fruit trees at our house. My wife would bag up some fruit, and then we would share it with the neighbors. We'd just take a little bag here, a little bag there. So then on Christmas, um, what happened was my wife tells me, I'll make you some cookies, and we're going to, you know, give them out, you know, individually. So, so you didn't that, need a whole James Project thing. This was an easier one, just a bag of cookies. And then you said you had something on it. You put like a... A note card or something on yeah, it Yeah, I took uh, one of the cards and she, she made a hole through it and we put it with the ribbon on the bag of cookies. And I took that bag, I looked at it and I was thinking like, I was thinking like, 
uh, what if I receive this? So I'm looking at it, and all I really seen was a card. And the card's like, like an invite to the church? Uh, yes, it had an invite. So I'm looking at it, it's like all I see is a card, and it, well, I mean, I can see the cookies behind the card, but I mean, I'm looking at the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally can see the cookies. So I'm looking at it, but I, sa I said, you know what, take the card off. Let's just give the bag of cookies so we don't see them as a project. You know, I would see it like somebody's just invited me to church. You know, that's, that's what I would see it. But I, I really wanted to connect. We, our heart is to get to know our neighbors better. And I felt like this was a better way to get to know them. Just give it to them and see where it leads. And honestly, it's been, they, people have been very receptive and um, happy to receive the cookies and to um, engage with us. And, and just, they've even told us a, a few things that we didn't know. Like w one man in particular, he was, um, he, he lost his wife a couple years ago and he was sharing with us. He has two boys and he lives there alone. And right away in my mind, I was like, you know, I could get closer to them. I know you know, I'll be able to connect with them and stuff like that, so. So it's just opened up a great conversation. It's just beginning for you guys, so. Definitely. But, but thank you, thank you for sharing. Would you guys thank them for just kind of pouring Welcome. out this little bit thank for Thank you. So Sixto and Michelle were able to just kind of just lay that out. I think it was a great illustration of how we have to think about, oh man, what if this looks less like a, like a gift from me and a caring, and more about a project. And so they're thinking about those things. What we're going to do in this series is kind of lay out some of those like, how do, we, how do we love and how do we care about neighbors? How do we build relationships and not turn people into projects, not turn situations into accomplishments? And so we do. We need to love. And in one case, I think the most challenging thing that Sixto said while in that, in that video for me was that neighbor who has lost, that widower who had lost his wife and his two sons, and, and now he's going to engage their life. I'm thinking, Wow. That's a lot. That, that, is a, that is a serious level of investment. And right there in my heart, just to be honest, I kind of go like, okay, God, cool, but not cool. I, I don't know if I have time for that. I don't know if I can get out there and go do those things. I mean, really, honestly, I, I kind of want to know, like, is there a limit here? Is, you know, love only gets to go so far, right? It doesn't have to keep moving. And, and that's when I realized, oh, wow, I'm, I'm acting just like this next character that we meet. It's another lawyer, and it's found in the book of Luke. Very similar setup, but instead this time, this lawyer knows the answer. And it's not that Jesus has asked the question. Jesus instead asked the lawyer, so what do you think? the greatest commandment is. And the man answers. He answers what Jesus said. He says, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, meaning the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Man, that's the question of my heart. How far does my love have to extend? Who really is my neighbor? I mean, come on, does it really have to go to everybody on my block? Is it really everybody around me? And Jesus just says, you know, I'm going to tell you a story. Here's how I'm going to answer your question. And he tells one of the most classic parables known, even in our modern world, whether you're in the church or not, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when we say words like Good Samaritan, we think of a good person who does good works, right? And when I say the word Pharisee, we think of this person who's kind of stuck up, uptight, and self-righteous. And yet in the ancient world, it was reversed. 
This one parable made the Samaritans good and the Pharisees ugly. This one parable flipped it for us because in the old world, in the ancient world, the time Jesus is speaking, a Pharisee is the guy you wanted to be like. He was the upstanding citizen, the godly person. And it was the Samaritan, which was the cuss word. When I called you a Samaritan, I was calling you the lowest thing I could think of. And so suddenly we have this flip just from this one story. And the story is simply about a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho and was mugged and and beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And along comes a, a, a priest who walks on the other side and then comes a Levite who walks along the other side. And lastly comes a Samaritan who is the enemy of the Jews. And he comes and he actually helps, binds this man's wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for everything in his needs and makes sure this man is made well. And Jesus says, who was really the neighbor? And obviously, it's the Samaritan. And what's interesting is in this story, Jesus is really trying to say, no, 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 there is no limit to your love. Those who are in need are the ones that we need to express our love as neighbors to because we're out to meet their needs and see them bettered. We're out to help step into the gap and shore them up and empower and help those who are falling, our neighbors around us. When you see the brown grass, you don't call the HOA. You knock on the door and you find out, oh my gosh, this person has cancer. They don't have the money to pay for anybody to take care of the grass or the water. And they're already getting dinged by the HOA anyway. And so what do we do? When you have annoying kids down the street yelling and screaming and nobody knows why these kids are out roaming around doing nothing, you go to them, you knock on the door, you find out, hey, how's it going? You get to know them, you find out they're as frustrated too. They don't know where to go. What they needed was an opportunity to come to some counseling or some conversation somewhere. And Jesus is saying, you need to lean in. You need to get involved. You need to connect. And yet we still are like, but who really are our neighbors? And again, it's very simple. It's those who dwell near you. And it's not just the next door neighbor. It starts with the next door neighbor, don't you think? They're the ones dwelling near you. But maybe it's also those dwelling near you at a restaurant. Namely, that waitress or that waiter that you regularly see. Or maybe it's that Trader Joe's checker or that Stater Brothers checker who, who, who you choose to be in that line with. Perhaps it's just that cubicle next to your cubicle or that guy on your work team or the, the classroom next door to your classroom. These are our neighbors. These are the people that we interact with, that we dwell by, that we are constantly around, that we've come into their world and they're in our world. And now we need to get close to because Jesus came close to us. And so a neighbor is is all kinds of people. And when that happens, we're not just being friendly, but we become a friend. We're actually willing to help, do a little bit of self-sacrifice, give a little bit out and care for people. But that's hard because let's be honest. One of the reasons we don't view neighbors as neighbors is found in the parable. Jesus described the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, not as a perfectly put together person, but a man lying half dead on the ground on the side of a road. That's messy. I don't know about you, but you ever driven by somebody stuck on the side of the road when you're on the freeway? We just have to say every day, right? It happens all the time. And maybe we're desensitized to it, but there's something in me that sometimes I'm like, "Ah, maybe I should go, maybe I should stop. Inevitably, I think to myself, "Ah, I got other things to do. I can't stop. They look fine. They've got a cell phone. I make all these assumptions. They got to figure it out. You know, this guy lying on the ground, it could have been assumed, you know, he deserved it. 
You know, he got in a fight and he wound up there. Oh, he's just drunk and this is all a game. Oh, he's a ruse. He's trying to hurt me. This, if, I, if I try to help him out, he's going he's gonna to mug me. There's all these excuses we could give ourselves. And we do it all the time with our neighbors. Oh, they're just incompetent to take care of their lawn. Oh, they can't handle that car. Oh, their kids are running wild because they're just, do we really know though? Because Jesus is saying, look, the neighbor is messy. And we all know they're, how many of you guys have a messy neighbor? You know you've got a messy neighbor, right? You know exactly who that person is. And guess what? That person's calling you a messy neighbor probably too. We're all messy neighbors. None of us are Jesus. None of us give it, get it right. We've all got mess in our lives. We've all got messy neighbors surrounding us. And we ourselves are messy neighbors. And so asking people to get into our lives is uncomfortable. It gets into our comfort zone. And guess what? It's not comfortable when somebody's a close talker and they get their stink all over you. But that's what Jesus is inviting us to be involved with. Is to have people come close. To draw near. To get near to us. But here's the thing. When we want to keep everybody at our arm's distance. Give me my comfort zone. Keep them outside. Just stay there. When that happens, you know what's going to occur? You're going to be busy. Really? Yeah, think about it. What am I busy about? What are you busy about? We're busy about our needs, our betterment. I want to make sure my house is better and my kids' needs are met and my wife's needs are met and my life is getting better. And that means I need to get to work so I can make the right money to make my house better. And I need to get home and spend time with my children to make sure their needs are met and their lives are better. And I need to make sure I spend time with my wife because her life and her needs are better. And so all of these things. So I'm going to meet my own needs. I'm going to better my own life and I'm going to be fine. And then what we teach everybody around us is you go ahead and take care of your needs and better your own life and you'll be fine. And we create loneliness. This is not how God set up the world. Because when all I'm doing is meeting my needs and bettering my own life, I love myself. It's interesting when Kevin kane has been trying to help us all expand and grow and knowing and connecting with our neighbors. And for the last two years, he's been doing that he will run into the same objection with people. They will say, I guess my love just isn't big enough. And he says, it has nothing to do with how big your love is. It has to do where your love is aimed. And all of us, honestly, have been taught to aim at loving ourselves. Aim at loving us, our connection. Notice then, go back to this verse in Matthew. Look down at it again. Verse 39 says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor. Is that how Jesus put it? Look at it again. Is that how Jesus put it? This is interacting. You can actually say something. Is, is that what he said? You shall love your neighbor? No, he said you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he do that? You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's his point. It's not wrong to love ourselves. In fact, he's saying that's your basis point to know how to love your neighbors. You're after your betterment. You're after your increase. You're after your good. That is how you love your neighbor. Be after their needs. Help their betterment out. Be the same way that you love yourself. So love your neighbors. So love those in need around you. Be a good neighbor. Christ was that way. He came and he met our need on the cross. He bore our sins there, died to take them on himself, rose again and came into our lives by the spirit to better our lives and continually better them. He is the picture of a good neighbor and love. And we have been called to be that same picture as those who follow this perfect human being. As those who follow the picture of what humanity should look like. 
We ought to be with Christ because he's in us to make us that way. And so there's something that needs to change in us. See, we need to get close because Jesus is willing to get close to us. See, it's the willingness that's the problem. It's not the time. It's the willingness. And to be quite honest, this is the thing that keeps striking me over and over and over again. Jesus was willing to bring the mess to himself. He was willing to invite every close talker around him and just somehow enjoy the plethora of smells that that would have created. In fact, what's interesting is he called to himself one of the biggest messes in the ancient world, a tax collector. His name was Levi. And tax collectors were hated by their culture. They were considered rebels. And he says, no, no, come to me. Calls this Matthew out and Matthew starts following Jesus. And Matthew only has a certain set of friends and they're all the rejects. They're the prostitutes, they're the tax collectors, they're people nobody wants to hang out with. They're all shunned. And Jesus says, I want to have a party in your house with your people. So he does. He has this this party with all these tax collectors and all these quote-unquote sinners, these rejected people. And the Pharisees have a hissy fit. They come to the door. They're like, don't you know who your your teacher's sitting with? What's going on here? And this is Jesus' response. He says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. How great was his compassion. He didn't come to say, hey, cleaned up, good people. You can all have a party at my house. No, he came to find the messy neighbors, us, and say, come, come near with all your mess, with all your junk. I'm not here to find people who are all put together. I'm here to bring in the mess. So no wonder that the, the first application I want to give you from this is a prayer. Something that we, I hope, will be praying constantly. And it is simply this prayer that I learned, and I haven't applied very well, but I learned it from a a pastor that was on staff years ago here who would sit in my office and he would weep when he would pray this prayer because he longed desperately. And this was his simple prayer. He said, Lord, I want the compassion of Jesus. Give me the compassion of Jesus. Oh, that our hearts would burn and break for those who are in the mess. That it wouldn't be something that we want to walk along the other side of the road in, but it's something that would cause our hearts to stir and say, I don't know what's going on over there. They look like they're put together, but I have a compassion to love my neighbor. I have a compassion to love my coworker. I have a desire, a deep longing, a gut-wrenching turn in my soul to love. And that's only going to come to us by God's presence. And it has to be a prayer that we long to pray that God make us compassionate like your son. And then when he does, and as he does, we're going to discover that this is not a compassion that's just sitting there. Like, oh, I have compassion for everybody. No, he has specific people for you to be compassionate about. Because he's put you here and he's put you now. Paul was standing on a philosophical grounds, having a great philosophical evangelistic moment in the book of Acts. And he lays out these truths that are found in the Old Testament and these great summation statements. And here they are. It's in Acts 17. And he says this. He says, he made from one man, God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, Notice that he says he's selected the time they would live and where they would live. Do you ever wonder why you live now? Why not the Middle Ages? 
Why not 200 years from now? You live now because God wants you here now. God's intended for your existence today. There could have been billions of other persons out of that little pool that came swimming down and all that stuff. We don't need to get into that. But you beat the odds. You're here. And you live on your block in your house, though other people bid for it and there's all kinds of other options. God has you where you are today because he has all those neighbors around you today in this time. So that, for what reason? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He set it up that they would find God. He set it up that human beings could discover him if they would seek him. And yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, he's not far because we're there. We're on the block. We're in the house. The question is, what do they think of God when they get to know us who say we're following God? Is God just a guy who turns people into projects? Eh, We've got a little bit of love, but not enough. I'll be honest, that burdens my heart all week. Man, what do they think of God when they meet me? How am I portraying the best neighbor that's ever humanity's ever had? And my being a neighbor. And it's in that, that that challenges us to begin to say, God, give us that compassion. Put it in our souls. Help us out that they may see and meet you. You see, the thing is, my neighbors aren't the project. And what I discovered in this is that the project isn't out here. The project is it right here. I'm the project. And I hope you can identify the fact that maybe you're the project because here's what's interesting. Look again at Matthew chapter 22. One more time back in this passage. Here's the question. A lawyer asked him a question. Teacher, what is the great commandment? This is a commandment. You ever wondered why it's a commandment? I mean, think about it. God does not command us to do the things we automatically do. He does not stand there and say, I command you to breathe. He doesn't go, I command you to eat. I command you to drink water. No. God doesn't command us to do the things we do naturally. God commands us to do the things we should be doing as human beings, but are so broken we don't. The things that we ought to be doing for one another. He says, this is what you should do. And he is like a physician. He has come to us who are sick and the mess. And he says, here is my prescription. My command to you is you take two of these every day for the next six weeks and call me at the end of it. His prescription and command to us was love your neighbor. It's not an idea that you come to and just like, oh, one day I want to love my neighbor. He says, no, you need this prescription. You need this change. Hear me. This is for your good. I love you. I've shown you how it works. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Sixto asked the question when we had been talking uh, before he came up, and he said, so we, we kind of did this because you had prompted us to do this. You know, like, I want to do it out of love. When does it become love? I said, really? It hasn't become love yet? And he's like, and he thought about it for a minute. He realized it had. See, he did it out of obedience first. But because he did it from obedience, he got to know some of his neighbors, and he found out about the, the widower. He learned his next-door neighbor is a wonderful woman whose son's a pastor, and, and he would have never known these things, and his heart suddenly grew. And he realized, wow, I'm beginning to really love these people. 
But it begins with obedience sometimes. The healing begins by just doing what the doctor says. Whether we like it or not, whether it tastes good or it doesn't. And then as the healing comes, the feelings change. And I want to encourage you that today where we're at is the beginning, where we start with at the, at the obedience level. It starts here. And yes, there's all kinds of excuses, all kinds of stuff, but it really starts with, God, give us your compassion. Help us to obey. And some of us, it's not so much that we don't want to obey. It's just you're going to go into your work week, you're going to get into your life, and you're going to forget. And so what our small group team did, Justin and his team, they produced a study guide to the series. So this series study guide exists. There's a small group version for those of you who want to do it in your small group. And it doesn't add, it's not another message during the week. It's this message condensed down and then you just study through it. And so it's an opportunity for you to study through it this week. Second, you may just want to study it on your own with your family. There's some family opportunities in here to do things with your family. And so you can grab that and do that. But it's available at Connection Central. We'd love to get this in every single family's hands. So all of the small groups and all of you guys are working on this. So it's just reinforcing what we're talking about. As you're driving home, you're walking out, and you're realizing, wow, I, I've got this God who I follow who's called us to fight loneliness, and we don't have to let it stay. We can, in this year, in 2018, be a church that begins to fight back against loneliness in our culture. And all we have to do is simply begin to engage the command that Jesus gave us, the prescription of loving our neighbors like we love ourselves. Oh, man, that seems so difficult, but stop and think about it for a minute. If all I'm doing is focusing on my needs and my stuff, I teach my neighbors just to think about their needs and their stuff. But the second I'm able to reach out and love my neighbor and meet one of their needs, they have margin to reach out and meet somebody else's. See, love grows. It's not limited. I know this because I have four kids. And somewhere along there, you're like, do I really have room in my heart to love another child? And you're like, suddenly you realize, yeah, I do. And something weird hits at, at number four. I don't know what it was. I didn't think about it at number three. But number four for me, suddenly I went, it wasn't like, oh man, do I have enough room for another child? It started to go like, who am I missing out on in my not having a fifth? Who am I missing out on in not having a sixth? Once you start to love neighbors, once you start to love one another, your love isn't small, it grows. And suddenly you begin to wonder, what am I missing out on by not loving this neighbor? What am I missing out on by not loving that person? Love is not a commodity that is limited. It's one that is eternal and infinite and given to us by the Holy God to use with one another and to bless each other with. Let's love our neighbors, amen? Would you pray with me? Father, I ask your blessing upon this um, wonderful group of people that we would love our fellow men and women that surround us, human beings who are made in your image, whether they live next door to us, whether they're dwelling in the cubicle or the workplace or God down at the grocery store, help us to be ready to open our hearts in love. And God, where we love ourselves, would you help meet our needs as we meet others? As you promised us, as we seek your kingdom, you will meet the needs that we have. Would you give us your compassion then so that we can begin to move and love and live and share you wherever we go. Help us, we pray, that you would be exalted in our lives, on our blocks, and in the lives of all those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.